Good morning, Colorado. You're listening to The Daily Sun Up with the Colorado Sun. It's Wednesday, October 18th. Today, we're sharing an excerpt of Colorado Sun political reporter Jesse Paul's interview with U.S. Senator John Hickenlooper last month at Sunfest. The Colorado Democrat talked about water policy, Joe Biden, and his vision for a better Colorado. Before we begin, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Applewood Plumbing, Heating, and Electric. A lot has changed in the last 50 years, and Applewood Plumbing, Heating, and Electric has changed a lot too. Founded in 1973, they've grown from their humble beginnings to become one of the most trusted residential plumbing, heating, cooling, and electrical providers in the Denver, Boulder, and Longmont metro areas. Applewood's story is centered on family, on outstanding customer service, and on community. From the entire Applewood Plumbing, Heating, and Electric team, they thank you for the opportunity to provide 50 years of incredible service. Now, let's go back in time with some Colorado history. Beer plays a pivotal role in Colorado's international reputation. Beyond renowned brands like Coors, the state boasts a growing number of microbreweries. The Wincoop Brewing Company, launched in 1988 by John Hickenlooper and Jerry and Martha Williams, pioneered this trend. Initially hoping to profit from Colorado's oil share boom, their aspirations dissolved with the industry's 1982 downfall. Using their severance, they transformed a derelict Denver warehouse into a successful brew pub and catalyzed a resurgence in Denver's lower downtown. This revitalization mixed contemporary commerce with historical preservation, inspiring neighborhood renewals throughout Denver. Hickenlooper leveraged his success into politics, becoming Denver's mayor, then Colorado's governor, and current senator. Before we continue, another quick message. Omwako Bafu, Soul of Black Folks, is now on view at the Denver Art Museum. It features more than 30 paintings that tell stories about the beauty and complexity of black life. Bwafu's bold, vibrant, and textured works have taken the contemporary art world by storm. Mwako Bwafu, Soul of Black Folks, is only in Denver for a limited time. Don't miss it. Tickets are available now at denverartmuseum.org. Next, our feature story. One of the things, you know, you've celebrated a lot since you were elected um, and arrived in Washington is the creation of the Colorado River Caucus with, with other Western senators and I think House members as well. But we haven't heard really much about what you guys are up to. And I wonder if you can give, provide us an update about how those negotiations are going, what the kind of backroom, you know, d- discussions look like. Um, is it cordial? Are people screaming at each other? What, what's happening there? No, it's still very cordial. And I think, you know, we put together, I always loved the, Western Governors Association, because you had a bipartisan group of governors that would work together to help each other. Republicans helping Democrats, Democrats helping Republicans. We, whether it was sage grouse or, or climate change or, uh, you know, figuring out how we're going to get our uh, economic uh, engine going stronger. Uh, governors love working together with, with, in a bipartisan way. The Senate didn't have that. So it took a couple of years. But now, especially around the Colorado River, we've got the Rocky Mountain Bipartisan Senate Caucus, and, and we include California in that. And through that, at least we've got the senators talking to each other, and we've got Arizona and California who are, have historically been the big adversaries in these disagreements around water of the Colorado River. Uh, they are working together, and there's a lot of uh, incentives for them to do that. Government has generally, you know, we have carrots and sticks. Uh, we can threaten to do bad things if people don't work together, or we can offer incentives when they do work together. 
And through the bipartisan uh, infrastructure law, uh, through the Inflation Reduction Act, we've got you know, roughly a little more than $12 billion for water infrastructure, for water projects. Uh, and uh, the vast majority of that is going to be for the Colorado River. So this is kind of a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Arizona and California to work together. There are a lot of carrots. Uh, and it's not going to, I mean, if they don't, if they, if they fight each other and we end up going to court, and this would go immediately to the Supreme Court, uh, if, there, if they challenge the, the decisions being made by the Bureau of Reclamation. If it goes to the Supreme Court, who knows what happens, but certainly, historically, it, it never resolves anything. It just takes time and money. So that becomes a stick in its own right. The beauty of the senators, of the bipartisan Senate caucus, is that we have, we have Republican senators and Democratic senators really working together with their water experts and with their governors. The senators aren't trying to make the decision. The senators are trying to facilitate direct conversations and make sure that we have sufficient carrots so that, that we can make real progress. And, and, and we have. So we have uh, figured out what the cuts look like through 2026. And now what California and Arizona are looking at and, and all, you know, all of the lower basin and upper basin states uh, really looking at what's what's the long term vision going to be if this aridification continues, if, if we continue to have this what appears to be a drought. But if, you know, if it's really just a change in climate, it could be much more than a drought. It could be uh, permanent. Obviously, there'll still be fluctuations. We had, saw a, a, a very moist uh, summer this year in Colorado, a, a, a very wet winter. Uh, hopefully, we can have uh, another uh, winter and summer like that in the coming year. But I think most scientists believe that, that we're getting drier. And so hopefully the compromises that are being made between, you know, those of the upper basin states like Utah and Wyoming, and Colorado, and New Mexico, and then the lower basin states like Nevada and California and Arizona, hopefully those compromises are going to lead to long-standing beneficial changes, more efficiencies. The goal here, obviously, is to make sure we continue to grow as, as much food and, and raise as much livestock as possible uh, with, obviously, diminished water. And, you know, I think we can get there, but it's only if we work together. Do you feel like the, the caucus played a role in the in the agreement that was reached between the states? I mean, is, is there any anecdotes you can kind of provide us about how that played out, you know, in, in kind of a tangible way? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't have specific anecdotes, uh, but it was, it was interesting to watch, you know, Alex Padilla is a freshman senator from California, very talented. Uh, uh, he's going to be a great, he is already a great senator. He's going to be a real leader in the Senate. And I would say the same thing about Mark Kelly, the freshman senator from uh, from Arizona. And so those two have really worked hard to, you know, create a bipartisan objective lens by which we look at, here's what we used to do, and here's what that looked like, and, and here's the new reality, and how do we get to, from what we used to do, up to this new reality. And both of them are willing to make compromises, you know, negotiate in good faith to recognize that neither side's going to get everything they want, but we'll do a lot better by coming to our own agreement than having the Bureau of Reclamation come in and from, from the outside 
inject an agreement that perhaps both sides will be unhappy with. And we're about halfway through here, so people have questions. We'll have an opportunity at the end to so just think about them, and, and Elliot's going to run around with the microphone if folks have them. Um, Senator, I want to talk a little bit about um, more staying on the environmental idea. You know, what your opinion is of how the Biden administration has handled the issue of drilling on federal land and in Colorado in the rest in Colorado and in the rest of the country. I'm, I'm thinking specifically about BLM land. The oil and gas industry, I know, is upset about about the the uh, regulations that have been put in place, and they've certainly always kind of counted on you as an ally. And I wonder where you are on that, and if you're facing pressure from the industry, uh, you know, to pressure the Biden administration to to be more lenient or to rethink some of these regulations that they're putting in place. Well, I think you you we've all got to recognize that this climate change is real. It's accelerating faster than almost any scientist expected. We're facing, you know, changes in in our weather that are truly extreme. And by any measure, and whether you're talking about the wildfires or the tornadoes or the hurricanes along the coast, the, the cost of this weather change is going to be in the ultimately in the trillions of dollars. So every year we delay, every year that we slow down this transition to clean energy, we're doing far more harm to ourselves. Uh, that we're gonna, it's, go, it's gonna cost much more money to rectify. Look at the fires in, in Western Canada this summer, and we were, we were breathing that air for a, a big chunk of the summer, but it's all, that's more methane, more uh, CO2 from the combustion of the, of the wood, that's putting more uh, carbon into the atmosphere at, at a frightful level. So, sure, do we wanna cut back on drilling? Do we wanna move away from oil and gas into a clean energy? Yes, as fast as we can. Is that gonna happen tomorrow? No. So the, the real challenge here is to recognize that we're gonna need uh, some combination of oil and natural gas uh, for this transition into a clean energy future. And, and to do that, we wanna make sure that, you know, our, our jobs in Colorado are, are, you know, not put at a disadvantage. That said, you know, how do we get more natural gas to replace more coal faster? Well, a lot of that natural gas is going to come from Colorado, from Texas, from some of these Western states, uh, and we we can liquefy it and send it to you know places like India and China. A lot of people disagree with that, but the savings when you replace coal, and and oftentimes what they're burning in in Asia is very dirty forms of coal. Uh, what, what, when you can replace that with wind and solar, the, the reduction in carbon emissions is so dramatic that it's worth having drilling those extra wells in, in, uh, uh, you know, in places where you can get natural gas. That doesn't mean that we don't continue to go as hard and as fast as we can to clean energy. And the, the key is, it's like, you know, can you chew gum and, and walk at the same time? Yeah, you can do that. We should be able to do this, make sure that we have enough uh, traditional energy to uh, have a smooth transition and we don't put working people at risk of having to pay $10 a gallon or $15 a gallon for their gasoline. But at the same time, recognize that this transition is going to happen. And, and part of that transition, as we, as we do cut back on the total amount of, of, of uh, crude oil that we use, uh, prices are going to fluctuate and, and we've got to do as good a job as we can uh, dealing with that, and in many cases, when 
when you cut back, you're going to have an excess of hydrocarbons and you know oil and, and natural gas. And, and probably that price, as it fluctuates, will probably come down sometimes, which is going to make it more attractive at a time when we want to use less of it. And that's all got to be part of the, the thinking for this, you know, the planning uh, behind this great transition. I know when you were in Colorado meeting with some reporters recently, there was a talk about, you know, term limits in Congress and the age of people in the Senate. Um, and obviously, polls are showing right now that voters are concerned about Joe Biden's age as he runs for a re-election. I know people are concerned about Donald Trump's age as, as well. But, but Joe Biden is a member of your party. And I wonder if you're worried about his, his capacity to serve, where, where you kind of come down on that. Well, I think he seems healthy. And the last couple of times I've talked to him, he's been very vigorous. Uh, it's been a while, uh, but I was out today at the investiture uh, for General C.Q. Brown as a new, uh, as of an hour ago, he's the new uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff for replacing Mark Milley. Mark Milley gave an amazing speech. You should, everybody should get a chance to try and listen to that once it gets out and online. Uh, very inspirational speech. Uh, but Joe Biden was there, gave a, a, a rousing speech, talked about our, our, our global presence and, the, and this as being the, the greatest fighting force in the history of the world. Uh, and, and he's right about that. Uh, anyway, he, he was, he, his voice was filled with power and emotion. Uh, he didn't seem too old to me. So I, I think he's got another four years in him. All right, I'm going to switch back maybe to talking a little bit more about policy. And I don't know if you've heard about this from high country communities, but one of the interesting ideas that they're talking about now with housing is, is maybe using national forest land, federal land, uh, to build housing on. And I wonder if you're having any discussions with the Forest Service about that, if it's something that Congress could take on, or if there's a way for, for your office to make it easier for some of these places like Vail or Aspen or in Summit County to, to find some more land to, to build affordable housing on. So we, I started talking about this back when I was governor, uh, and I have talked to the Department of Agriculture. Uh, uh, I have talked to the uh, head of the BLM, which is in part of the Department of the Interior. Uh, in many of the western parts of the state, the BLM land is more attractive. Uh, I think the, the, the way it might work, and I think it's doable, I, I genuinely think it's doable, but, but we'll all have to chip in. In other words, the, the mountain communities, whether it's a municipality or the county, they're going to have to chip in as well. And obviously some of that housing is going to have to house like forest service workers or, you know, uh, federal workers in some, in some way. Uh, but I think the beauty, we probably could do like 99 year leases rather than sales. It's, it's difficult to go through and, and sell the land. I mean, you can do that, uh, but it's just much more difficult. But I think 99 year leases could get us where we need to be and get us that land Oftentimes what happens is the, the Forest Service land or the BLM land is somehow separated uh, away from where the, uh, uh, the, the extension of the sewer service is or where the water service is. So it becomes harder to hook up that piece of land than something that's right in town already. But again, each situation is different. It's, a, it's, a, it's an excellent thing we should be looking at and let each local community assess whether their cost versus benefit is makes it a good solution. But I, I do believe that the federal government is willing to sit down and, and discuss, in most cases, uh, letting their land be part of the solution. I, again, not in a, you know, not in a, in a, in a remote uh, natural landscape, 
but in those places right in, clo right in close to towns. Our, our, fest, our Sunfest slogan this year is for a better Colorado, and I wonder if you can kind of briefly, while we're, we're getting set up on the audience questions, if you can describe what a better Colorado looks like for you. Well, it's, you know, it's not that different uh, from when I was look, running for, for governor back in 2010. Uh, I think a better Colorado is a Colorado that is better for everyone. And one way to do that is through education, uh, is making sure that whether it's apprenticeships, uh, experiential learning, everybody has a, a good chance at, at, a, at a good job. And by a good job, I mean a job that leads to a better job that leads to a better job that creates a career. And I know Governor Polis has worked very hard on expanding apprenticeships, uh, continuing to, to build on that work. And, you know, I think that we have the opportunity in Colorado to really lift up uh, the entire state, not just the people at the top, but, but the entire economic food chain uh, and, you know, create a better life for everybody. And that also means uh, uh, better public safety. It means, as, as, as uh, Mayor Johnson has said uh, again and again, housing, making sure that everybody has a place to live, a home. Uh, these are all components that are, you know, what we need to make, you know, a, a better Colorado. You can read more at coloradosun.com. Finally, here are a few stories that you should know about today. A dozen community sites in Denver are set to receive a new solar array capable of generating enough clean energy to power each site. Multiple schools and the Denver Botanic Gardens Chatfield Farms are among those receiving the solar canopies, which will be installed in parking lots and provide shade for up to dozens of parked cars. The City Climate Office has committed $33.4 million for the 12 sites to install, maintain, and operate the canopies. Denver City leaders expect to recoup that money through federal tax credits and energy credits from Excel Energy. The Colorado Department of Corrections has agreed to halt a practice that caused an inmate at Sterling Correctional Facility to be held in restraints for 12 days inside a cell, during which he was forced to defecate in a bucket and prevented from washing his hands or cleaning himself. The department will also pay $500,000 under a settlement with 37-year-old Zachariah Jones, who sued in federal court in Denver alleging he was held under inhumane conditions in December 2018 without running water after deputies suspected he swallowed drugs. Denver-based chef Carolina Zubiate has been named Hispanic Top Chef 2023. The Peruvian-born Zubiate won a three-day cooking competition in Denver, where seven chefs selected from around the U.S. and Mexico tested their knowledge, leadership, and talent in the kitchen. The competition was held at Colorado State University and hosted by the Hispanic Restaurant Association, a nonprofit founded in 2021 as a nationwide network of Hispanic restaurant professionals. Zupiate cooks for private dinners and events, and works as a chef at Yuan Wonton, a beloved dumpling truck that recently opened its first brick-and-mortar location. For more information on all of these stories, visit our website, coloradosun.com. And don't forget to tune in again next time. The Colorado Sun is nonpartisan and completely independent. We're always dedicated to telling the in-depth stories we need today more than ever. And The Sun is supported by readers and listeners like you. Right now, you can head to coloradosun.com and become a member, starting at $5 per month for a basic membership, and if you bump it up to $20 per month, you'll get access to our exclusive politics and outdoors newsletters. Thanks for starting your morning with us, and don't forget to tune in again tomorrow.